Professor, Master of the Arts and Sports Administration, Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. For many of us that love sports, the dream when you're a kid is to play sports when you grow up. Eventually, the reality sets in for most of us that we're not going to play sports for a living or get paid to play a game we love. But that desire to be involved still remains. From the inception of this podcast, we've always wanted to have a focus on the people in sports business and the roles that they play. Our conversations with guests often turn to their journey and how they got to the roles they are today. In hearing those stories from guests about their journey in sports, there's one consistent theme. No two paths are alike. Our guest today, Peyton Chang, has one of those non-linear winding paths. Peyton is the social media manager for the Miami Dolphins, along with their properties including Hard Rock Stadium, the Miami Open, and the Formula One Miami Grand Prix. In addition to her work with the Dolphins, Peyton serves as a consultant for Pro Gauge Connect, working with professional college athletes earning endorsement deals and growing their personal brands. Prior to her work with the Dolphins, Peyton worked for Athletes Unlimited as a social media coordinator throughout their inaugural softball, volleyball, and lacrosse seasons, and the Tokyo 2021 coverage. Peyton's first job in sports was with Wasserman Media Group, where she led a project working with the NFL and the Microsoft Surface Partnership for their Super Bowl campaign. Peyton did her undergraduate work at Stanford University, where she earned a bachelor's degree in science, technology, and society with a concentration in communications and media. At Stanford, Peyton was a member of the varsity indoor and beach volleyball teams, where she was a part of two NCAA national championships. She finished her volleyball career at Northwestern as a graduate transfer, where she also earned her master's in sports administration. Again, we always love having former students on the podcast, and it's so great to have Peyton because she provides such great insight into what she's doing today and the path she got to get there. So we hope you all enjoy Adam's conversation with Peyton Chang. Welcome to the Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Grossman. With me today is Peyton Chang, a former student of mine, and also Austin Siegel, who has been working with us on the podcast. So Peyton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, we're happy to have you. First, we want to start with the question we like to ask all of our guests, which is how did you get talk a little bit about your career journey to date and how you got to this point in your career with the Dolphins? Yeah, so pretty funny story. I played sports my whole entire life. I played volleyball, grew up in Southern California. And I was lucky enough to play my undergrad volleyball career at Stanford University before I did my fifth year at Northwestern. And pretty funny story, but my senior year at the Final Four, our team stay in the same hotel as the Miami Dolphins. And that's sort of kind of how everything started. Our videographer on the team, she's originally from Florida and got connected with some front office people. And two months later, after our season was done, she joined the Dolphins as a producer. And two years later after that, I was a member of the Miami Dolphins social media team. So kind of crazy everything works. But I've been here for a year and a half now. And I do social across Miami Dolphins, Hard Rock Stadium, Miami Open, and... F1 Miami Grand Prix social media account. So it's been a pretty crazy ride and kind of crazy to see how my volleyball career is connected to my actual sport career in sports now. But that's actually a good place to start because we want to touch on all those different things that you talk about, particularly all your various roles with within the Dolphins and all those different things that you're working on. But starting with 
you know, the reason we became in contact as you were a student in the master's sports administration program at Northwestern, but that was in part because of what you'd mentioned as your career as a volleyball player. So you could talk about, A, starting with how did your career as a volleyball player kind of shape your desire to be in sports, to jump into the program and potentially pursue a career in sports management? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've played sports my entire life, always been super competitive and wanted to see kind of after my volleyball career was done, how I could stay in that field. And I wasn't really sure it would be whether in sports marketing, sports media, more on the business side. And I think when I was a student athlete in college from 2015, 2019, that was kind of when social media really started. And I think the Northwestern Masters sports administration program really helped me kind of narrow down what I want to do in the sports career. So that was really cool to see because at Stanford, I majored in science, technology, and society, which is kind of a combination of business, sociology, communications. I had a concentration in communication and media, but nothing sports related. We didn't have any sports specific classes. And so Northwestern master's program really helped me, you know, figure out what I want to do in sports career in my sports field now. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, I think there's a lot of people who are either entering the sports industry or entering our program who are interested in a career in social media. It's kind of the career that you, your career path you're on right now. So you, you said how the Northwestern program helped you identify social media marketing as potentially an area that you'd be interested in. Can you talk about how that worked or how you were able to identify that as something you wanted to pursue? Yeah, there are a few different classes that I take in. I know one of the core classes that we took was sports marketing. That was super awesome. Kind of just see the overall what is sports marketing because I do think it is so broad when you see it now, especially as someone who does work for an organization. Social media is under the marketing department, but marketing also includes events and entertainment, also the video and content people, all of our graphic designers and project management team, digital assets. So there's so many different things within marketing that is so broad that I've learned throughout my entire career. I've also taken some more direct digital media classes, kind of looking at how social media has, you know, become such a big part within the sports industry. And then I was also able to do as part of the MSA program, an internship at Wasserman as a marketing intern for them. I did more of like the social media analytics stuff, working with the Microsoft um, Surface and NFL partnership when I was um, an intern over at Wasserman during, during the Super Bowl in Miami, which is actually kind of pretty funny to think about how that all sort of connects still. But yeah, it was kind of cool to see how there's so many different you know, areas in the sports industry, I think is just good, whether it's, you know, you're taking those master's classes at Northwestern or another school, or just kind of just talking and networking with people in the sports industry to kind of see what marketing, if that's an interest or just any department in the sports industry um, that you are in, because there's so many different avenues and so many different industries that you can take. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit more about how you were able to secure the internship at Wasserman, particularly, you know, that's a competitive, A, it's a, you know, agency that has substantial reach within the sports industry and B, the, the project you're working on with Microsoft is obviously a very, or the, the engagement you're working with Microsoft is a very visible partnership. Can you talk about how you were able to secure the partnership with internship with Wasserman and how you were able to work on the Microsoft account? Yeah, I think when I was, you know, trying to figure out where I want to work in the sports industry, what kind of, you know, companies I want to work. I always want to work for an agency. And at first I thought I wanted to be a sports agent, which is a kind of a very different route. I know it's so hard with all the different school you have to go through and all the exams. And then when I was in the interview process, I was like, I didn't realize that Wasserman also had their own brands and property section, which is what some other agencies do. They have a representation side, but when I was in the interview process, I learned that it was more of the actual brands. And so the one I, the office I joined in Carlsbad, so in California, 
it was more about the Microsoft Surface the NFL partnership. So it was actually kind of cool because while the NFL partnership was one of the main projects I was working on with their Super Bowl campaigns, I also did some stuff with general Microsoft Surface activations, like a Wonder Woman activation they're doing, or just overall trying to find um, things that would fit with the Microsoft brand, looking up research trends, all the different stuff. So they're always uploading uh, different internship programs across the country, some remote that people can do. And I definitely recommend it. And it worked well with our master's program because you had to get college credit. And we do have an opportunity at, at Northwestern to do an internship as one of your elective classes. And Bryce Clinton was actually my advisor for it. So I kind of just made a whole little syllabus with him and had weekly check-ins with him to kind of keep him updated what I was doing. So I definitely think it was a really cool experience for me. And that was really my first job working in sports besides just some stuff I did at Stanford Athletics because being an athlete in college is tough with time management, trying to find time to figure out what I want to do in sports. What did you learn a little bit off the beaten path? What did you learn from Wonder Woman and your experience with Wonder Woman at Microsoft, if anything, to that you would apply to the sports industry? Obviously, looking you know, at media and entertainment more broadly could, could influence how you think about sports industry and your work now, particularly focused on social media. I don't know if there's any learnings you saw either from Wonder Woman or just working on Microsoft more generally that you now apply in your sports career. Definitely. I mean, I think an overall marketing activation takes so much. There's obviously your digital stuff that you're doing and there's a lot of on-site, you know, in-market activations. And I think that was something I really learned is what it really takes to put something completely together. I think that campaign ended up having to be kind of completely shifted what they originally planned because of COVID, but there's so many different things they want to do across different markets, whether it's in the Microsoft stores or in movie theaters. I remember they were talking, working with, you know, the Smithsonian, Smithsonian museums, like all those museums they had yeah. um, in DC and everything. So there's so many different things that, you know, it takes to put together such a big activation and looking now to see what we do across the dolphins, across Miami open and formula one, you know, we market in this, in Miami, in South Florida, all the different counties. And then we also try to think what we do, you know, nationally and even in our international markets now that we're able to market in. So it is kind of cool to see like, wow, I don't directly work on that. Cause I'm not, I'm not what a marketing, you know, our marketing brand strategist on our team, but I'm able to kind of just see just from a general perspective, how we're going to want to promote that on social media now. And I assume some of that, the next step in your career is working with Athletes Unlimited, which is its own, and he obviously aligns with your kind of experience as an athlete, particularly from a volleyball perspective, but obviously has branched out into other sports. Can you talk about what was your experience? You know, it's a, definitely a, a different experience than working at Wasserman, particularly from a startup entrepreneurial perspective. So can you talk more about what it was like to, A, to, to get the coordinator position at Athletes Unlimited, but how, you know, come, what was your experience like there? Yeah, that experience is awesome. I mean, I was, I graduated from the MSA program in August, 2020. So it's still during COVID and it was such a struggle to find a job at that point. I was like, Oh, I kind of desperate, but I just wanted to make sure it was a good first job after college and everything. And I had seen my Stanford volleyball, one of my former Stanford volleyball coaches, Cassie Lickman. She's currently now the director of volleyball operations for athletes limited, but I saw that she was playing in it as well as all these other Olympians that, you know, I grew up watching. I was like, Oh, this seems like a really cool opportunity. And they had a social media manager role that I saw that they posted on Twitter. And I was like, you know, well, I don't have as much like experience to be a social media manager yet. I do have that knowledge within volleyball and I do have that interest, you know, working in social media is potentially an avenue feel that I would want to do. I did some takeovers in NCAA volleyball and Pac-12 volleyball when I was, you know, a student athlete. I thought I 
can use what I've learned so far. I know the sport, I know the athletes are, and they can teach me all the skills. And, you know, they took a chance on me and that was really awesome to grow, you know, that first season of pro volleyball in the U S in such a long time. And then they also did softball leagues and lacrosse. So I was able to kind of learn how to build a content calendar in season, out of season. And, you know, working all those games live in person. I think that's so different. You can't really practice that until you really experience it. And so that opportunity at AU, just growing a league completely from scratch, what John Patrickoff and John Soros, the CEO and co-founders are doing is so awesome for women's sports. And it really helped me now with what I do now today um, across all of our properties. I mean, Formula One in Miami was the first year we had it. So we had to grow that social page from scratch Miami Open, we work with IMG, and this was the first time our Dolphin side took over that, that social account as well. And so building all of that from scratch, I was able to use everything I learned from those AU experiences of how to grow a brand, how to grow an audience, and to now my jobs here at the Dolphins. Can you, I, I probably should have started a little bit from the beginning. Can you explain what Athletes Unlimited is? And then, you know, again, obviously why, you know, all the stuff you talked about is great experience in terms of building content calendars, which also is something we should talk more about. But can you just explain to the audience who maybe is unfamiliar with Athletes Unlimited, what it is and why it resonated with you so much? Yeah, Athletes Limited is this new network of sports leagues, primarily women's sports. I know they have talked about, you know, seeing what they could do with some other men's sports that are not represented as much like men's volleyball. But it started off with these two guys named John Patchkoff and John Soros based on New York. And they kind of want to think outside of the box. So the WNBA, the NWSL, those were the two primary women's sports league for basketball and soccer. And they thought, you know, well, we could kind of invest in another team, add to that. But why don't we think of something different? You know, softball, volleyball, those are huge women's college sports that have such big audiences. They have great attendance at their national championship call it women's college world series. And so what can we do, you know, to create something that's, you know, immersive for the fans and what they did over research is they realized that, you know, today's fans are more invested in individual athletes themselves rather than, you know, teams and specific markets. And so they thought, why don't we just invite the top 50 players in these sports, invite them to one location and make it more of a fantasy styled experience. And so it's over five weeks. There's four captains every week and they draft teams. And based on those teams, you play kind of a round robin of matches and you get points. So you get points for, you know, games you win, you get points for each set that you win. So there's team points and there's also individual points. You can earn points and lose points based on your stats. And then afterwards, fans and the players, they vote on MVPs as extra bonus points. So it's a very immersive experience. You kind of see the leaderboard shift up and down throughout those five weeks. They redraft after each week. And at the end, there's one champion and four medalists. And that kind of depends. On your base. That's basically your salary at the end of it. Everyone gets the same base salary, but your bonus is basically where you end up on a leaderboard point um, chart. And so it is pretty cool to kind of see, I think pro volleyball throughout the years, I never had a pro volleyball league in the U S when I was growing up. And so that was, why I wanted to work in sports also because I knew I probably wouldn't play volleyball after college. Didn't really want to have that whole overseas experience, but wanted to stay in the sports area somehow. And AU is really cool because, you know, they want to do something different. They've, there's been a lot of different leagues that have tried to do you know, the different markets and volleyball just never worked out. And, AU really thought outside the box and they did an awesome job with softball, volleyball, lacrosse, basketball now is kind of a sub league for the WNBA and they're in their 10th season right now, which is crazy thing about. So I'm really happy to see them grow. Um, they've been doing an awesome job at everything. Yeah. And we had Sherry Kemp on. Oh, cool. That. Yeah. So you probably mm-hmm. know Sherry, but well, we can link to that episode in the show notes if people want to learn more about Athletes Unlimited and 
how it continues to grow in the ways that you, you were just describing, Peyton. But we, it's a good potentially transition into, you know, obviously you're working for this organization. You mentioned how you had met the Miami Dolphins, I guess, you know, in a more informal capacity. But how did you, you know, kind of leverage either your schoolwork, your work at Athletes Unlimited, Wasserman? How did that kind of all culminate so far in this position with Miami Dolphins in terms of your ability to A, be recruited, but B, kind of achieve success with Miami Dolphins? Yeah, I would say in summer 2021, I'd seen that the Dolphins, you know, put on a social media job posting. And, you know, one of my dreams was to work for an NFL team or in the NFL someday. And so I thought, you know, my Dolphins were a perfect fit just because, one, I loved warm weather. Some from California struggled <laughs> yeah. a little bit in Chicago when I was oh, no, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that was awesome. But also just, you know, the big market that Miami is, such a big sports town. You know, you've got the Heat, you've got Marlins, you know, Inter Miami, Florida Panthers. and just so many big events that are coming, you know, to the city at that time. I didn't even know formula one was even coming to hard rock stadium as well. They right. did the Miami open. So that was just, you know, an, another bonus that they had because the dolphins really are on, the only pro major sports sports team that has all this stuff. We have formula one race. We have a major tennis tournament, all these other events at hard rock stadium. So it is really cool to see that, you know, I'm doing other stuff besides just football. Definitely. am really busy in the off season, probably more than all the other teams, but it's, you know, it's been such a cool learning experience, but yeah, I definitely think all my experience at Wasserman at Athletes Limit, I would say Wasserman more with the social media analytics side. I was able to learn how to use Zoom and CrowdTangle and all these other social media analytics services that we use at Wasserman, you know, putting together PowerPoint decks on, you know, brand strategy, just overall marketing experience. I was able to learn there. Then AU is really learning how to build that content calendar for social media um, across multiple different brands and audiences throughout those different sports and was able to translate that here because, you know, Formula One, Miami Open, that's only one weekend, two weeks out of the entire year. But how are you going to fill that content calendar throughout the entire year? Super important. And that was same with AU, you know, the season's five weeks long, but how can we be in the conversation, keep these fans engaged throughout the entire year? So really able to use all that experience, you know, my last job and when I was applying for um, all the jobs here at the Dolphins, and now I get to use that. So, yeah, definitely a lot of stuff I learned. Um, can definitely dive more into all of that. Yeah, that would be great. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, that would be great. We should dive into that, but Austin's got a question you want to ask first. Yeah, it definitely seems like part of your role is things you can anticipate in advance, like the NFL season, obviously, in the fall. I've got the Miami Open and the F1 race coming up. But I'm curious, too, the parts of your job that involve breaking news. Obviously, in the last few days, the Dolphins had a blockbuster trade for Jalen Ramsey. And I was curious kind of what that looked like from, from your perspective and where you sit. Yeah, so we're getting ready for free agency right now. So luckily this episode is going out in a couple of days from now and everything once everything is finalized when the new year new league year starts on Wednesday. But yeah, basically we have this, you know, internal chat. We kind of discuss everything and it really definitely takes a full team effort. And so we have someone, we have people who are just, you know, messaging stuff in our internal chat, being like, oh, I've seen this news, then our PR team will, you know, confirm if true or not. And then they get started working on, you know, pulling those assets, photos, videos that we have, um, you know, our 
our team is kind of looking at what our guys are tweeting, whether we've put together some fun graphics, some cool reaction type of stuff that really definitely gets all the fans excited. And before this, we also work with our partnerships team. You know, the Dolphins are one of the leading teams in selling content for sponsors. And so we have all this stuff already all set with our partners, whether it's, you know, the welcome to Miami graphics, the signing photos, the fun free agency stuff. We have all these brainstorms, I would say weeks in advance. So when it is time, we're ready to just, you know, go and attack what we need to get done because we have so much stuff going on. Free agency starts this week. Then we have Miami Open falling up right after and we all do everything. And so we just really try to stay organized by planning ahead as much as we can. So when it is that time, you know, we're ready to go. Yeah. And I think that does transition nicely. And honestly, thanks for that question because I think it does transition nicely into the next question, right? There's a media and you were talking about long-term content calendars, whether it's the Dolphins or otherwise, where things are out of, particularly when things are out of season, that's a frequent question that we get in our classes or the questions I get is how do you keep content fresh and active when it's during the off season? So how do you, when you think about content calendars and creating content, you know, on a 12 month a year basis, clearly there are events like free agency and draft that can drive content, but how do you think about kind of creating a year round content calendar, particularly when you're out of season? Yeah. I mean, I think NFL, they try to keep you busy regardless, you know, we have Pro Bowl, we have, you know, that after Super Bowl is done, you have your hype video, new season starts now. And then obviously free agency, combine, draft coming up. Luckily with the Dolphins, you know, we do have Formula One and Miami Open and we love doing all that crossover stuff as much as we can. You know, it really takes advantage of those different audiences and helps our other brands at our, you know, helps Formula One when the Dolphins post about it. You know, people love to see all those crossovers between the drivers. Like we had Pierre Gasly and come over to our um, facility. He did a cool little thing with Tyreek Hill. They did a hundred yard dash to celebrate hundred days before my F1 Miami GP. So we like to do as much crossover stuff as we can. We'll have some of the Dolphins guys come to Miami open games and, you know, meet all the other athletes that are there. So it was really kind of cool to see the NFL gets involved. You know, the F1 teams get involved, the different ATP and WTA players, they love meeting our athletes. So it is really cool to kind of see all of that combined together. But yeah, we definitely like to, you know, mix in, you know, that fun evergreen content as well. We'll get a lot of stuff on media day ahead of times, like mini mic questions that we can kind of spread out through that time that will, you know, shoot on media day, just get to know the, you know, these people's personalities off the field, off the court, whatever it is. Um, we'll do some off season features that are going to be coming up new this year too, which is really awesome. Kind of go to, you know, some of the players' hometowns or see kind of what they're interested in. And, you know, cause fans really want that feel like they're friends with them or, you know, they have like a personal attachment to these teams and these players. They want to get to know them even more on a different level. And so we really try to, you know, offer that, you know, really cool perspective. And it helps when the team is doing better than in some years past, because they're more excited about the coming season. So really try to keep that content calendar fresh. And this year we also have Zach Thomas. He's finally inducted to all of fame. So we get all that content as well. So there's some things that come up here and there and some other cool marketing activations that we'll have in the off season, you know, to get fans ready for this coming season. That does segue into something you brought up, which is off field content and trying to get to know players. How, A, how, how do you do that? B, how open are players to kind of participating in that and see what's the kind of the engagement that you're seeing with off field content and, and fans learning more about players' personalities off the field? Yeah, I mean, we have some stuff that's more partnership perspective. So we'll have, for example, there's something coming up soon with like, we have our own Dolphins public sub, which are very famous. If you haven't afforded to try them out, but yeah, we have one of <laughs> one of our guys. Um, he did a little competition with one of the public guys, as you know, they dress up in 
grocery store outfits and they try to make who can make the better pub subs. So we have like stuff like that. That's, you know, some paid paid um, activations. But then we also, you know, there's some guys that we know that, you know, have some full stories. We work really closely with our PR teams, probably a little bit more closely than some other teams do. Um, but we try to find from them, you know, who, cause they work with them. They're with them every single day. They kind of figure out which guys are comfortable on camera, you know, which guys have these really compelling stories or off the field activities that, you know, we think that would be good on social to share, um, whether it's in the community or just some hobbies that they have uh, off the field too, or just some stuff they do in their own communities back at home. So we kind of identify with them ahead of time to get those concepts approved. They talk with the players. And then once we have everything set, then we go and, you know, we shoot and we try to figure out what our video team, you know, what can turn into long form feature, all that type of stuff. So Media day is kind of one of those more fun type of stuff. We'll, you know, put together a list of questions, you know, see when guys are free and just shoot that type of stuff. You don't want to do it, you don't have to do it, but usually we try to get as much participation as possible. I know that everyone thinks about, you know, the Tua, the Waddle, the Tyreek, but we really try to showcase the entire team because these guys want to build their own personal brand too. And they're awesome, have awesome personalities that we really want to showcase. So we really try to, you know, even it out and just showcase everyone on the team as much as possible. I think that was our first public public subs reference on the podcast. So growing up, <laughs> the chicken tender um, pub subs, putting in a automatic word for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did want to ask you. I think it's interesting how different players across different sports embrace social media differently, and I'm, I'm interested in kind of what your experience has been. Are you finding that you're mainly crafting messaging and, and creating content for players to share or do they want to take a more organic approach and kind of write their own stuff in their own voice yeah i mean we kind of let all of them you know on their own decide what they're what they want to do on social we love the collaboration feature on instagram that's probably our favorite thing ever because we kind of get to hit their audience as well and so if they want to post their highlights on their feed, like they're able to do that. All they have to do is really just click a button and content is made for them as well as our other, you know, features that we're making or photos that we have. But we also have this platform called Socially that we work with and all the other teams NFL also use that. And I learned also that the ATP and WTA tours use this as well. But we just, all of our photos that our team takes and even content that we take personally on a cell phone that we can use, that we can send to them, we upload through the server and then it actually connects directly to their account and they're able to directly post it from there. So it's actually this really easy system where we're able to feed them content, you know, immediately after a game because after every game, players are like, where are my photos? I want to post on social. So that's that service is awesome just because we're able to kind of knock all that out and it's just, you know, easy, direct, you know, give them their stuff without having to text back and forth or email back and forth photos and stuff like that. Yeah, that kind of leads into my next question, which is, you know, we've obviously spent a lot of time about football, but you already mentioned this. There's the City Open, there's the Miami F1. You've talked about it a little bit, but kind of what are the differences that you see between those different events, particularly in creating social media strategy or content? Are there different audience expectations across the different events that shape how you guys create content? Or how do you think about that from a strategic perspective? Yeah, I think doing social for the Dolphins and then doing social for, you know, Hard Rock, F1 to Miami Open, those are so completely different because with, Dolphins, you know, you're really focused on the team, you know, your exact players, but for those other events, you're more focused on, you know, the overall event. So, you know, the food vendors that are coming, our restaurant partners and beverage partners, and then also just, you know, the athletes in general, like obviously, you know, we're going to highlight the champion, that type of stuff. But I think in like NFL teams can get really snarky with one another and try to make jokes, but you know, with these tennis players and F1 drivers, you know, we want to be good terms with everyone. We're really neutral. 
I have my own personal favorites who my F1 <laughs> drivers and test players are, but I don't express it on social media. <laughs> and so I think we want to just showcase, you know, the event, the event being here rather than like, and then their own people, their own teams, like F1 teams, they can post their own stuff that, you know, gets snarky or whatever, gets back at other teams. But we really want to showcase, you know, how these really cool events are here at Hard Rock Stadium. You know, we're a global entertainment destination and really want to showcase all of that. And there's so much that goes into these events. You know, Miami Open, we're having concerts this year, which is kind of the first time ever. And, you know, F1, we have this big Hard Rock Beach Club with chain smokers and Zen, all these people. We want to showcase that they're here. And then we also have, you know, Carbone and Groot Hospitality, all these major food restaurants and hotspots in Miami are coming to F1 Miami. And so we really try to showcase everything as a whole. So I would say it's about like 75% of just the major like focus, which is tennis or racing. But then also there's a big 25, 30% that's on that entertainment aspect because Miami is such an entertainment hub and really want to showcase what we're doing and transforming this stadium into a world-class destination. Yeah, that's that last point is interesting. I want to come back to it about uh, as an entertainment hub, but I did want to talk about with F1 having a, a surge in popularity in the race in Miami, specifically being a catalyst for that, and compare that kind of to the City Open, which is a more long-running establishing uh, event. Can you talk about the differences from your perspective, A, about like new events versus even events you mentioned, like adding concerts for the first time, but what was it like, A, being on the ground with this new or being a part of the organization as this new event was coming along? And then B, what's the differences that you're seeing between these newer events coming to Miami versus more established events like the Dolphins or City Open? Yeah, so the Miami Open, it was first brought up by, you know, our Hard Rock Stadium team, Mr. Ross, back in 2018. And then 2019 was the first year that, you know, we had a tournament here. And then it's kind of gone through a whole whole thing because 2020, they built the stadium court right after the Super Bowl, rushed everything. And then COVID happened. So it was right. completely canceled. And then 2021, it was like, do we have the tournament? Do we not? Then it's having the tournament, but it was a much smaller scale didn't even use the stadium court, which I think is probably one of the coolest things. You know, we build an entire tennis stadium inside our football stadium the day football season's over, which is unlike anything else. So that's really cool. We have the campus completely outside with all the practice courts, grandstand stadium, all of that. And so that was kind of a smaller scale in 2021, but they had it. And then 2022 last year was my first year with it. And that was when we were like, okay, we're finally back. You know, it's time to really show what this tournament is, you know, put it back on the map for people as a must thing to do in Miami. And it is two weeks long and we have kind of, it's kind of for everyone. Like we want to, you know, have the tennis fans here really enjoy that. We just want kind of like the local Miami lifestyle type of, you know, not like influencer. We invite a lot of those people out here and just, you know, anyone who don't have to like tennis, you just want to come enjoy the art and the entertainment and the food that's out here for an entire day. Some nice like fun, the sun and, people do complain it's not Kiva skating anymore and you lose the charm of that, but you get so much of that market up in, you know, the Palm beach counties, Fort Lauderdale, up North Orlando, you know, who it is a quicker drive for them than going all the way down to Kiva skating. And so it just was able to provide a more central environment, you know, to a tournament that, you know, might not have been in Miami anymore if we did not buy it out. And so we still work really close to the IMG it's split. So IMG does all the um, player operations and the partnerships for the tournament. And then we run all the sales, the events. So bring all the restaurant and food partners, entertainment, and then all the social media stuff as well and the overall marketing. So it's really cool kind of just split thing that, you know, we really work, work together to try to bring this event back to life and, you know, keep it going this year. We want to be bigger and better than ever this coming year. And so there's lots to look forward to this year with, a new concert and we're actually starting a day even earlier this year. So it's the first time 
the tournament has been 15 days long instead of 14. So let's look forward to some coming year and then F1's right after. And what we're doing new this year is we're after the tournament's Miami Open tournament's done, we're completely turning on the tennis court <laughs> and then we're building our paddock inside the football stadium, which is wow. completely unique to us. And fans who have a campus pass, which is just a general admission ticket, they're able to go inside the stadium and view the paddock, which is the only race on a circuit where fans, general fans can do that. And so we really use our entire campus, you know, in and outside the stadium grounds to, you know, build this racetrack and build this experience for fans, whether it's our Hard Rock Beach Club or MIA Marina where fans can kind of feel like, you know, they're not directly in the city, but we're bringing the city to the circuit out here and really trying to give that immersive experience for fans and because their experience is means the most to us. And that goes to, I guess, to the point you were talking about earlier about bringing entertainment into a world-class venue. Can you talk a little bit more? It sounds like through the F1 and, and the City Open are the kind of primary avenues, but can you talk a little bit more about particularly on either on non-events or event days, like how you're transforming the venue to be more entertainment-oriented and more entertainment-focused and giving those kind of slices of life of Miami to fans around? Yeah, and so I would say Hard Rock Stadium, you know, it's a very definitely a multi-purpose venue. We're able to, you know, do so many different events. So there is Rolling Loud, which is, you know, a major three-day hip-hop festival that we have here every single year. They do a lot of those typical operations. We kind of just support on general stadium operations, all that type of stuff. We have the Orange Bowl also here, um, as well as college bowl playoff games coming up, um, 2024 semifinal, the national championship again, again in 2026. And then we're also having the World Cup. We're one of the host sites, which is super cool. So, we're able to kind of just transform the stadium constantly into whether it's entertainment or music related, you know, different sports. Uh, we just had, we hosted Argentina for a friendly also last September too, which is pretty crazy. So three days in a row is Argentina, Honduras. The next day was Miami hurricane football. And the next day the dolphins beat the bills at home. So there was a lot of stuff happening that weekend. And, you know, we're able to kind of just use everything that we have here, this nice stadium. And we're able to kind of, transform different events, even the outside parts of it. We use all of those same structures that we use for Miami Open and F1, you know, these nice terraces that we've multi-story terraces that we built with food vendors, food trucks. We're able to use that, whether it's our Dolphins games as our, we call it the Fountain Plaza tailgate. Um, we're able to transform it into this food hall for Miami Open. And then for F1, we transform it into, you know, our um, crypto.com terrace or McLaren race house. So they able to use it for so many different things. It's really cool to, kind of see how our events team, marketing team, were able to kind of think outside the box and, you know, use these things all year long. We have a gondola too on campus that fans can go to at Dolphins games and Miami Open and F1. So that's really cool too, to kind of see all those things that we have at our campus and give fans that full experience, whatever, whatever they want. Yeah, we have a few more questions as we kind of wind down because this has been really great. We've got a really expansive view of your role, but you are in my class. My class is Intro to Sports Analytics. And so kind of from your perspective, what are the kind of the numbers and data that you're looking at as part of your job? We were just talking about kind of how you're transforming or the organization's transforming the venue into something that can be more entertainment oriented. How do you determine what success looks like either in something like that, but more, you know, even from a social media perspective and how do you leverage data, understand what success looks like uh, on that front? Yeah, I think it's all the social media platforms have really changed over time. And, you know, we really work closely with our business analytics team to kind of try to figure out, you know, how to, you know, properly value content, how we want to sell content moving forward, you know, to sponsors, because that's always changing. And, we luckily just hit 200,000 followers on Instagram oh. for our F1 Miami page, which is super awesome and getting close to yeah. Miami Open. And so I definitely think 
you know, success that we see now on social media with numbers is more the engagements. I think mm-hmm. platforms see one changing Instagram, you know, reverted more to reels. And so then they took away impressions. I think everything used to just be impressions. Like, let's just see how many impressions we get. Like all of our partner stuff is like, they're required this amount of impressions. And then now it's a lot of teams, a lot of NFL. We, we went, met with NFL at Pro Bowl and some other meetings that we had in the previous season and ATP meetings that we had. And they're like, engagements is, you know, the key because you want to see how people you know, are responding to all of this, are they engaging with your content? And we're kind of seeing how, you know, user generated content has definitely become more popular now, now that Reels and TikTok, you know, has really taken over the social media landscape. So we use this platform called Amplify, which is used across NFL. And they're able to really give us those, you know, insights and most accurate that we're able to compare it to the other teams, other tournaments, other races, just because, you know, you always want to keep growing the social media landscape. You see things that do well, but Will that also do well, you know, a year from now when these platforms keep on changing? So it's always good to, you know, get inspiration from what other accounts are doing, whether it's, you know, in sports, not in sports and kind of just, you know, see what worked, what can you improve on and then how you can implement that in the future. Uh, from your perspective, has it changed your way of thinking about content? You mentioned like how platforms continue to evolve. You mentioned obviously the new emphasis on Reels and TikTok. How has that impacted, you know, your thought process and what are kind of some of the numbers you know you said it's a transition from impressions to engagement but how how does that kind of impact either looking at engagements versus impressions how has that changed your strategy and have you kind of evolved your strategy and continue to evolve your strategy over time as these platforms change yeah i think we really try to be more like mindful what we're posting i think you know, sometimes people just want like content to be out, but you know, you rather have quality content over quantity. And so, and there's sometimes where you might not even post on a specific platform, like just because, you know, it's going to be, you're posting something on Instagram, will it do on Facebook? Does it make sense to post it on Facebook? Or could you just post a different version of that? So for example, like on a game day, we might see that, you know, reels perform the best for like player type of content, but on Facebook, it didn't perform as well, but photos like a photo gallery does the best so we kind of just kind of mix it up where we've yeah. seen over time what fits what doesn't fit and we really use those services like amplify to kind of determine it because they'll tell you you know this is your top performing content each week this is your worst performing content and so mm-hmm. you know it's not performing well we don't want to waste our time doing it we don't want to you know we want to give th- these partners who are paying money for to us you know right. the best content possible and so there's sometimes where these partners are like no like i just want this and we're like okay but letting you know that it's not going to perform well. So if you want something, here's recommendations. But if you rather just have, you know, what we agreed to on originally, you know, that's fine. But we really try to be flexible and very transparent with our partnerships team. Um, just about, you know, what we think works is we want to produce most, the best content possible. Is that is a good question, a good follow-up, which wasn't what I was expecting to ask, but how do partners react when you make recommendations and or if they're seeing, you know, the types of metrics you're seeing are divergent from the types of metrics that they potentially find important. How, how have those conversations gone if you've had them? Yeah, I think it's tough because, you know, we try to do everything so in advance. So we know right. we really try to say like, you know, this is what, you know, you're guaranteed or contracted. But I think now we're kind of shifting after having a lot of conversations, you know, across other teams, leaders in the industry, you know, trying to make it a little more broad moving forward. So, you know, you're guaranteed like a content series, but don't specify what platform it's going to be on because, you know, things are going to change or don't guarantee specific number, which that might've been, you know, in the past, like you're guaranteed this amount of posts. But if you kind of just to see like, 
you know, content series on discretion of, you know, both prop, like both properties. I think that's kind of how we're aiming to move forward and having those conversations ahead of time, you know, with the social team to provide the recommendations, you know, for partnerships and then just continue to monitor it while it is in process. I think that's kind of the strategy we are moving forward to make sure, you know, we are, you know, stay up to date with the latest trends with analytics and with what's going on in the industry and then trying to figure out what, you know, fits our brand and also our partner's brand, brand to make everyone happy. Is there an expectation from brands from your perspective that you do that? Or is there an expect like keep up with trends, kill them with recommendations, adjust, you know, to maximize content? Or is it kind of something that's a value add from your perspective and that's what you're providing? Yeah, I would say some brands, you know, are a little more flexible. You know, we're able to have, you know, those conversations. Some are obviously a little more yeah. difficult to kind of deal with, which is expected because, you know, they want it their way, what's going to fit their brand the best. But yeah, we kind of just really try to show with the numbers, you know, this is what you're getting currently right now. And we think that, you know, this, you know, would perform better based on, you know, other examples that we've seen, whether it's, you know, other brands or other teams that have been doing, like, these are examples that we really feel like would hit our audience a little bit better. And so if you're open to, you know, having that change or really willing to make that, you know, we're able to do that. Or if not, we'll continue this series throughout the rest of the season. And then next season, let's reevaluate. So it's kind of flexible here and there. We just really try to stay in communication with our partnerships team. We work really closely. It's called Business Solutions. And they're kind of, you know, the Intermix working with our sales team, working with our activation team, but we're looking at the numbers to make sure, you know, we're hitting our goals or on top of all of the, you know, content series that are coming up and then keeping us updated about, you know, future things that we're trying to, you know, hit with these certain partners that are required in their contracts. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. It probably in and of itself could be its own episode. And maybe we'll have you back on and discuss it in more detail. But <laughs> two last questions as we wrap up. You kind of blew past this a little bit, but you mentioned your experience being at Northwestern during COVID and going through a recruiting cycle during COVID. How do you think, you know, we usually ask people who are maybe a little more advanced in their career how COVID has impacted their career. But I think it's very interesting to hear from your perspective. How do you think COVID impacted your process getting started in your career? And how do you think it, it may shape your career experience going forward? Yeah, I think during COVID, it was such a struggle to find a job. I mean, luckily, I was still able to, you know, do the master's program, finish all that out. I wasn't just doing nothing and job searching <laughs> all day and stuff. But yeah, I think it was tough because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do in sports right away. Like I, there's different, definitely different avenues. Like, did I want to go sports agency route? Did I you know, want to work for a college athletics department or Denmark for, for a team. And so a lot of the stuff like teams were on hold, um, a lot of college athletic stuff that was on hold. So I was like, okay, trying to find what was the best fit. And then that athletes limited thing came up and I don't think it's something I originally ever imagined unless I saw something in USA volleyball Twitter one day about this new league. So that was kind of pretty crazy how that happened, but I was definitely really patient. I wasn't just going to like accept a job just because, you know, I needed to find a job right away. I was like, I really want to do something. I think the first job after you graduate is just so important because I think it really sets foundation for your career later on. And while Athletes Limited is, you know, brand new, I was able to, it wasn't like the first, like the big, biggest name you ever heard of, but I think it was really cool to get that learning experience from, you know, to people who are really invested in women's sports, putting a lot of money into it, you know, getting all these brand sponsorship for these female athletes and, you know, related to me as a former female student athlete too. So I think that was really cool to be a part of and then was able to get that learning experience, you know, to the NFL. And I think seeing now today, like everyone at the Dolphins organization, like everyone has so many different paths to get there and everyone's is so different. And so it's really awesome to kind of see, you know, here an organization where, you know, there's a lot of young people, recent college grads and 
getting to work on these really cool projects here at the Dolphins and F1 of Miami Open. So I think it's super cool. And I'm really glad I didn't, you know, just settle and take a, just a random job in sales. Cause I was thinking about not working in sports at one point, but I was like, you know what? I have this master in sports administration for Northwestern. Yeah, I should really use it. And I think moving forward, I'm not entirely sure what I want to do, whether it's social or just, I know I want to stay in the sports marketing area, but um, it's really cool right now working for a team, you know, you know, for an organization like the Miami Dolphins that does all this stuff. But um, later in the career, not completely sure what it's up to, but, you know, we'll kind of just see how everything goes. And right now it's awesome. Yeah, and that goes into our last question, a version of which we ask all of our guests, typically for more people advanced in the sports industry or more have been in the industry longer, it's what are you looking for when you're hiring folks? From your perspective, you kind of alluded to it already. It's like not settling, but what are kind of some of the lessons you learned through the hiring process, particularly in a very difficult hiring environment post-COVID that you think would be good for people who are a little bit younger than you now or entering the Northwestern program or just starting their looking for that first job in sports? What are some of the key lessons that you would impart to them in terms of, from your perspective, are critical to potentially achieving a, a job like yours in the industry? Yeah, I think it's funny because my interview process with the Dolphins they never once asked me questions. And I think this is very stereotypical what people think. It's like, what players on the team do you know? Or, you know, can you list all these, you know, Formula One drivers? But and they never asked me any of that once in my interview process. I knew nothing about Formula One before I moved all the way out here, which is kind of crazy to think about. But they really want to know more about your typical skill sets that you have. So for me in the social media role, which was more programming and, you know, creating captions, creating that content calendar is like, do you have that? And then we can teach you, you know, the entire team, what the NFL typical calendar looks like, you know, the rules that NFL has for posting highlights and whatnot and sponsorship stuff. So I was able to learn all of that once I was there. Same with when I was at, you know, Abbott's Limited with all those, you know, social media skills that I might've not known beforehand looking on the outside. And so I think it's more of just, you know, the typical like hard work, you know, someone's determined, get stuff done because social media is one of those jobs where it's not a typical nine to five. It's a little bit more, I wouldn't say it's a 24 hour seven, even though it kind of is, because it's kind of hard for me to like yeah. check out completely. A lot of times I'm worried like something's going to happen, you know, even when I'm not working or I'm just on social media, more it's just a casual sports fan. So I see stuff that's happening that it impacts me. And so definitely someone, you know, who's going to be like on top of it, time management is super important, especially working in sports and all these crazy events like we do do now and just someone you knows trustworthy. We get fed a lot of information that is top secret sometimes. So mm. in confidential. So they definitely need people, you know, putting me on top of it. You know, it's high pressure situations at times, but if you're able to just prepare ahead of time, work together in teams, communication, those are definitely the skills you're looking for. And that's definitely helped me, you know, from being a student athlete all the way to now in my job for the Dolphins. So, yeah. That's great. Very helpful. I'll save you the stress of asking you what time you were on off the clock and you saw something that put you back on the clock from a social media perspective. Hopefully that doesn't, <laughs> hopefully doesn't happen too often, but because you, you do need some time to unplug. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. It was great. And I know, our, you know, people, obviously you're not that far removed from being a student, but I know students and other people in our audience will learn a lot from, from this episode. So thank you for being a guest on the episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Go Cats. <laughs> <laughs>